welcome back everyone after our nice month-long break. I'm Olivia and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, the podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. So we are back and I'm coming at you now from a new state with a new job and a new schedule and I'm still settling into that new schedule and new work routine and getting used to not having to work all the time. So these next couple of episodes might be a little irregularly timed. I'm going to still be shooting for every other Saturday, um, but it might be like this one where it's Wednesday at 10 p.m. and I'm finally just recording. So as we get settled in, like I said, things might be a little bit irregularly timed, but we're still going to be putting out episodes. And um, if you are on the social medias, um, you'll have seen this, but I did sit down the other day and plan out really just about the rest of the year's podcast episodes. So that's one last thing that I'll have to do on the fly is come up with episodes every other week. Um, I personally think we're going to have a fun, but also quirky, creepy, and hopefully freaky year ahead. I think it's gonna, I think it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope all of you are too. So let's get into it. I think other than the major update of just being back to the podcast, I don't really have anything else at the moment other than um, just as a thing I am in, you know, new space and I haven't found the um, acoustically good (laughs) parts of the apartment. We're still a little echoey in here, so the sound might be a little bit wonky in these next couple of episodes, but we'll get that sorted out. So, yeah, so let's hop into it. We've had a couple of spider episodes now with the history of the podcast, uh, talking about some spiders eating bats, and today I have another episode of Spiders Eating Unexpected Things. I actually saw this review article posted on LinkedIn, I think about a year ago now, and it's been on the docket for a while, and I've it kept getting put on the back burner as I was spontaneously thinking of new episodes, so now, finally, we're going to be talking about it. And we have spiders eating snakes. So first of all, spiders are a pretty common fear. And as I keep throwing in these episodes of spiders eating bats and spiders eating birds, spiders eating snakes, um, I don't want to feed too much into that. So to start off with, the vast majority of snakes that are getting eaten by spiders are wee baby hatchlings and juveniles that are happening to wander into the web. Spiders in general are pretty opportunistic. There are some wandering spiders and the tarantulas that may more actively hunt, but for the most part, they're pretty opportunistic and they're not going to be out catching uh, humongo, like, giant snakes. Uh, Second, a lot of people are afraid of snakes as well, so for you guys, that's going to make these spiders your best friends. Third of all, most spiders aren't much of a threat to humans at all and don't seek us out. We're too big to be prey, and even the spiders that have medically significant venom really don't want to waste that on something that they can't eat. They, of course, uh, don't want to die, so if they get uh, stepped on or stuck between clothing, then they'll probably bite. But for the most part, they don't want to use our venom, or they don't want to use their venom on us. So they can be a little bit creepy with all of those legs, all those eyes, but overall, spiders are still friends to all at least all of us, maybe not to their food. I would say that spiders are friends and not food, but some cultures do eat larger spiders, so you do you. Now, getting into the bulk of this episode, most of it is going to come from 
the review article I saw and ran into that is fairly aptly named Spiders Feeding on Snakes. And this was by uh, Neifler, Martin, and Whitfield. There have been some reports here and there in the scientific literature historically, as well as anecdotally in the media and National Geographic and places like that, uh, really for quite some time of just reports of spiders eating snakes. So technically this isn't entirely new information, but what is new is the collection of this information and the analysis to find out which spiders are most responsible and which snakes are being eaten the most in different areas of the world. So before we get into the snake inclusion in the spider diet, a little refresher on spiders with a touch of taxonomy. My apartment's not organized, so we it's good to talk about something that has been, you know, sorted and organized into its little spot. Someone needs to be sorted. So spiders are in phylum arthropoda. This is the phylum of invertebrates that all have hard exoskeletons. So in addition to spiders, some familiar creatures here are going to be other insects. So, uh, you know, like butterflies, things like that. Uh, we also are going to be having crabs, horseshoe crabs, millipedes, crayfish, barnacles, also all sorts of fun things. If it has a hard exoskeleton, chances are it's arthropoda. From there, spiders are sorted into subphylum Chelicerata. Chelicerata is marked by having a particular kind of crushing mouth parts. Uh, these do look a little bit different depending on the group within the subphylum, but for spiders, these are going to be their fangs. So they're a little bit more hollow so they can inject venom. But for something like horseshoe crabs, who are in the Chelicerates, they're more closely related spiders to other crabs or to, I guess, true crabs. For horseshoe crabs, their mouth parts are a little bit more kind of pincery looking. Then from there, we have class Arachnida, which is where we have our eight-legged critters. So these are going to be your arachnids. And then finally, order Arania, which I have read that more than I've heard it pronounced. So that's what we're going with, with that series of vowels. Everything in this order are spiders, and what separates the spiders from other arachnids and other chelicerates are things like the ability to inject venom with their fang-like chelicery and their ability to produce silk through spinnerets. So one thing that is commonly referred to as spiders that are actually not are the harvestman or daddy longlegs. Those are both the same thing. And um, those guys, they don't produce venom. Uh, they don't uh, have the spinnerets to produce silk, and they also don't have the same uh, body segments that spiders do, so there are some differences there. So now we know what spiders are, what do they eat? So they eat, they all eat insects, and with some spiders we know from a previous episode, back in episode 27, the occasional bat, right? That's it? Uh, well, not quite. There are over 49,000 species of spider out there, and this is going to include everything from wee little jumping spiders to the massive goliath bird-eater tarantula, and then all spiders of all sizes and habitats in between. So with such diversity in body size and niche and habitat hunting technique, this is going to lead to a very wide diversity in potential prey. In addition to insects, other spiders, and generally other arthropods. Spiders have been recorded eating things like earthworms, velvet worms, which 
we're gonna have to talk about sometime they're pretty cute for a worm then we have slugs snails shrimp crayfish freshwater crabs and there's even one species of jumping spider that has been described as being herbivorous and that was back in 2008 and that's just a list of the boneless wildlife our invertebrates that are included in their prey uh so what about other things with bones we know about bats but are there others so in addition to bats other vertebrate prey that spiders may go after so we also have birds like the goliath bird eater doesn't eat only birds but they're included in the diet Uh, we also have deer mice voles rats fish frogs lizards newts and of course today's hot topic snakes as i said earlier overall spiders are fairly opportunistic feeders and especially for spiders that have webs for the most part if an animal gets into the web it gets stuck if it's not um if it's uh, small enough that the spider can handle it without the prey being a danger to the spider the spider is going to try to eat it and also if it's small enough that it's not going to destroy the web there are plenty of things where it might be too big and it might just go right through the web if it can be caught in a web a spider is going to eat. So in this particular paper, Spiders Feeding on Snakes, uh, the researchers analyzed 319 incidents of spiders predating snakes or spiders eating snakes. Nearly all of these incidents um, occurred in nature, usually in a field or around buildings, but there were a few that were part of some feeding experiment trial. Um, so overall, where the spiders were observed are pretty much areas that are going to be easily observable by humans, and not all spiders like to live around people. So there is a chance for some observer bias here, and there may be more incidents out in the wilderness of more species of spiders, but of course we work with what we have, and with 319 incidents to look at over the course of decades and I think centuries, we do get to see some interesting patterns. Uh, 30 spider species from 10 different families were recorded eating snakes in nature. And then we did have one or some of the large wolf spiders, the Lycosidae, also recorded as eating a snake or two when in captivity. Um, I didn't note the circumstance there when I was writing my notes, um, but like I said, there were some feeding trials for experiments, so it could have been one of those. And for complete transparency, for this episode, I didn't look into why researchers would be feeding snakes to spiders as part of a feeding experiment. I personally can't think of a good reason why you would, Uh, so I guess we'll look into that potentially sometime, but I guess maybe just to see if the spider would eat the snake. I don't know. Uh, So three families uh, or general groups of spiders were responsible for most of the snake eating. The Cobweb spiders were number one, and these are the Therididae. Uh, Tarantulas were number two, and then we have some large orb weaver spiders, and these were actually from two different families, the Arenidae and Nephilidae. So um, before we get into these groups, where were all these reports from? Were most of them in Australia, where they have the stereotype of all of the wildlife trying to kill everything? No, but also yes. Just over half of the snake-eating reports actually came from the United States, and that was about 50-60%, but then Australia was second at 29%. So, 
and this and this is me thinking about it now as I'm writing my notes. Uh, this may be partially due to the occurrence of widow spiders in these areas. So, uh, 60% of the 319 incidences were by the Therididae family, and these are all cobweb spiders. These spiders all build webs characterized by a tangle of threads, and the strands are pretty tough. So, once the web is all finished and constructed, they have a very strong cobweb-style web that can catch pretty much whatever small critter comes in touch with it. When something does get into the web, like a bug or if you're a poor little baby snake, uh, the snake is going to stick to the web and it's not going to be able to break free. So these are pretty strong, very sticky. Um, if you're in the web, you're in the web. Then the spider is going to run over to the prey, throw on some more silk over it, make sure it's good and stuck, and then it's going to bite that snake. So not all of the theridids have medically significant venom to people. Um, because, remember, all spiders are venomous, um, just not all of them are a danger to people, so using that medically significant verbiage is pretty common when talking about spider venom. Um, but the ones that do have that more powerful venom, like the widows, so talk, thinking about black widows, um, they have a neurotoxin component to their venom that targets the nervous system of small vertebrates. So, um, not all of the theridids have this particular toxin, so the false widow spiders uh, don't necessarily have that. So, but it's this toxin that makes the true widows particularly deadly to the small vertebrate component of their prey. So, if we think about uh, the 60% of the 319 were by the therididae family just as a whole, um, but if we break that down a little bit further, uh, 50%, so exactly half of all of the recorded incidences of spiders eating snakes, 50% uh, were from just widow spiders. So not that full family. Um, that is going to be pretty specifically widow spiders, and that's not 50% of the 60%. That's 50% of the 319. So before we get into the venom and prey size, as a little side tangent, who are the widow spiders? So most people in the U.S. are likely familiar with the southern black widow, and generally when we refer to black widow spiders, it's the southern black widow that we're typically talking about. But we do have some other uh, widow species as well. We have the brown widow spider, which is a fairly recent introduction to the United States. And as a fun fact, that one is still one that you don't necessarily want hanging around your house, but it is a little bit less... Uh, the venom isn't quite as dangerous to us as black widow spiders, and it does also eat black widow spiders. So if you have to choose between a brown widow and a black widow, the brown widow might be a better option. Um, we also have the western black widow spider, and that's out west, and then the northern black widow spider. And this one, its territory overlaps pretty significantly with the southern black widow spider, um, but it does creep up along the coast of the northeast a little bit more, and there are a few occurrences in the kind of Appalachia region as well. Um, but particularly the northern black widow is not particularly common, and as a whole, black widows are reasonably shy spiders. They like to stick to themselves, they like to stay hidden, so you may see them around, but chances are, like, they don't want anything to do with you. If we go for international widow spiders, we have the redback spider in Australia, and then the African button spider in Africa, and the Israeli widow spider. Um, these are the widow spiders that have been recorded 
to eat the occasional snake, and all of the widow spiders that have eaten snakes have all been adult females. Adult male widows, hence the widow name, generally don't get to live very long into adulthood. They kind of have an unfortunate existence, so the females are going to be the more um, long-lived and generally have more of the hunting, more of the hunting opportunities. So, back to the venom. The widow venom is pretty potent for a small vertebrate and allows the spider to catch pretty sizable prey. And also as a backtrack, um, with the widow venom, in terms of its dangerousness to humans, the main people that it can be um, a hazard to is, or a significant hazard to is going to be like small children and the elderly. Um, if you're a generally healthy adult, like you still should probably go to the hospital if you know you got bit by a widow spider, um, just in case. But generally speaking, infection is going to be the thing that you have to worry about. Um, they don't always inject the venom if they're biting for defense. So, um, anyways, the black widows have been reported uh, taking down snakes 15 to 30 times their size. So that's pretty incredible. And keep in mind, black widows aren't very big spiders either. Like their typical body size, about one centimeter or about half an inch or so. And most of what these snakes or most of what these spiders are catching are either hatchlings or just snakes that are small as adults, like green snakes and ringneck snakes and the occasional garter snake. Um, there have been some occasionally um, bigger culprit or bigger prey as well, like racer snakes, but most of the snakes that are being eaten are hatchlings, so they're pretty small at that point. Um, so the, with the ringneck snakes, a big adult ringneck snake is a tad over a foot long, and that's going to be like a big one. And so that's really at absolute most 36 centimeters, 14 inches. So these guys aren't very big. Uh, still a very impressive catch for a small black widow, and um, that could be lunch for them uh, for a couple of days. Like They won't have to eat again for a good little bit after that. And they can also take down the occasional garter snake as well. Um, boop, boop, boo-doo. And those get to be a little bit bigger as adults. For non-widow cobweb spiders, there was one report from a National Geographic article where a triangulate cobweb spider took down a 15-centimeter long garter snake. So, uh, triangulate cobweb spiders are a pretty common cobweb spider. I can't remember off the top of my head if they are global or not, um, but they are pretty common house spiders in the United States. They're not a danger to people. They don't really bite. They stick to corners in your cabinets, and that's about where you might find them. Uh, so, these are even smaller than the black widow. So, by weight, uh, that garter snake that the uh, triangulate cobweb spider there caught was about 350 times larger than the spider by weight. So if we go over to Australia, they have the red back spider, and this is a widow spider that, well, has red on its back instead of that hourglass shape that the black widow has. Now, red backs, for whatever reason, don't seem to eat snakes and other reptiles quite as often as black widows in the U.S. do which could help explain why Australia has so many fewer incidences of uh, spiders eating snakes than the U.S. A lot of their snake prey would generally be bigger. Like, a lot of the um, snake prey that the spiders are eating in the U.S., um, many of them don't get very big as adults. But in Australia, 
a lot of what they've been eating are the very venomous brown snakes, and those get to be a lot bigger as adults. So the prey, uh, the window of opportunity that those snakes can be prey is a lot shorter than um, for many of these snakes that are prey in the U.S. Okay, so that is the spiel on on widows. Apparently, I've gone on about them for a little bit. So we're going to go on to the next group. We have tarantulas and Man, this might need some editing. There are reasons I don't generally record at 10.30 at night, but here we are. So, on to the next group, uh, the tarantulas. So, tarantulas are only responsible for 10% of the snake-eating incidences, and so the cobweb spiders very clearly do take the lead in terms of eating snakes. Uh, With tarantulas, though, uh, for some species at least, eating snakes is likely going to be a little bit more intentional than with the web-dwelling spiders. Tarantulas don't build webs. They're more active hunker- they're, they're more active hunters and have to seek out their prey, and some of them get pretty darn big. Uh, that goliath bird-eating spider I mentioned earlier can get up to about 20-28 centimeters depending on the source that you look at, and that's in leg span. So that's over five inches. That is definitely going to span the distance of a nice dessert plate, at least, and that could also take up most of a dinner plate. Or about half, depends on the size of your plate. Uh, So since the percentage is so much lower, uh, these guys aren't taking down snakes all the time, um, but they do hunt in trees as well as on the ground. So if they do find a snake that, one, they would be able to handle the size of the snake and it just looks like a tasty meal, they'll take it down if they can. Overall, with tarantulas, uh, they seem to just take down whatever prey they feel like they can handle. Um, So, like I said, if the snake looks small enough and they think they'll be able to take it, they'll grab it. So, with tarantulas, since they don't have webs, uh, the hunt process sounds a little bit less graceful than with web-building spiders. So, when their prey, um, in this case the snake, is close enough to catch, The tarantula will lunge for it, and with spiders, it will try to aim to catch and bite near the head. Um, This is going to be probably partially due to the fact that tarantulas uh, tend to live with, um, you know, in the tropics and Amazon rainforest, places like that. So they have some pretty venomous snakes to deal with, and they don't want to get eaten as they're trying to take down the snake either, so... Grab it by the head, safest spot to catch the snake from. And tarantulas do have that neurotoxin in their venom as well. So they just need to be able to hold on to the snake long enough for the venom to take hold. And then they get lunch. For these big snake catches like this, um, much like the widow spiders, these can be a really important meal. If you get yourself a good-sized snake... You, again, won't have to eat for a couple of days. If you uh, catch yourself a big enough one, you might not have to eat the rest of the week. So, who are the tarantulas mostly taking down? Uh, Generally, you know, just super casual snakes like pit vipers. Even though a lot of the snakes we have records of being eaten are uh, by tarantulas are pretty venomous snakes, what we don't have are records of a venomous snake successfully injecting venom into a spider. Uh, This could indeed be because it doesn't happen, and tarantulas are just very skilled at ambushing their prey and getting them by the head. Um, It could also be that that exoskeleton is going to give them protection from actually being punctured. The exoskeleton is pretty tough, 
And there is always the third option of it happens and we just haven't seen it. And granted, uh, most spiders that um, are going to be eaten by a snake, if it is a snake that eats spiders, they don't really like bite and then swallow much like they would if they're going to kill like a mouse or a larger prey or things like that. They generally just bite it and then like full spider in their mouth and then swallow. Um, just one of those like eat in one gulp situations. And now on to our third group. Uh, this is responsible for many fewer incidences. Uh, they didn't even give a percentage. And most of the time with these ones, it mostly just sounds like a morbid case of poetic justice. So this last third group are the large orb weavers in the Arenidae and Nephilidae families. So uh, picture like your typical large yellow and black striped garden spider. And a lot of what we're talking about here are going to be the larger orb weavers like those. So these guys can be eaten by snakes. So in the US, we have the rough green snake and the smooth green snake that will eat these guys. And in other areas, it's going to be snakes that have similar habitats. So they live in trees um, and may also eat spiders. So this would also include the bronzeback tree snake in Asia. So with these snakes, if you want to catch a spider from a web, you need to approach very carefully. If you make the wrong move, you not only might risk missing your lunch, but a couple of things could happen. One, you will fall out of the tree and onto the ground, and that's no good because that's where predators are. Um, or you also could miss and get caught in the web, and that can also be bad news because now that thing you are trying to eat may now eat you, especially if you are a small green snake. Uh, sometimes, if a larger snake gets caught in the web, the spider will break a strand or two to release it. Uh, this happened in an instance with a bronzeback snake that I had mentioned. Um, there was a pretty long snake, it was about one meter long, that got caught in a web, and the spider decided to release it from the web by breaking some of the strands to allow it to fall out. In this case, um, having such a large snake poses a risk to the spider, um, both because if it's thrashing around in the web, it's likely going to destroy the web, um, knock the spider out of it, and that's no good. Uh, so repairing a few strands, in this case, um, a few strands of strategically, from your strategically broken web, that's going to be much less energy intensive than a full new build, and also risking falling to the ground where you will find predators. Um, but if you have something like a much smaller green snake in your web, then that might be one that you, as a spider, celebrate your good luck and enjoy the lunch of champions. Once the snake is sufficiently stuck in the web, the spider has decided like, yes, I want this, uh, I want this food, then the spider is going to come and wrap it up into a unhappy little snake mummy, and that's going to help to subdue the snake and keep it as a safe experience for the spider and then spider bite snake. In most cases with web building spiders, um, in most cases that snake is going to become food. Web building spiders have to sit and wait for their food, so um, a snake is going to be a pretty big meal for them. So a snake would be a pretty big meal and a pretty fortunate meal. Like uh, Much like the tarantulas, they really wouldn't have to eat for a few days after catching that snake. So um, especially if they've been having a rough go with catching bugs, that could be a really good meal for them. 
And there we have it. I am out of practice concluding things, but uh, here we go. Much like the rest of this episode, this might be a little bit rambly. I did not expect this to go on for nearly 30 minutes. So after talking about spiders taking down prey much longer than it, I want to reiterate again that spiders are friends. Also, if you have some harmless spiders around, like cellar spiders or the orb weaver spiders, they can do things like eat your mosquitoes. They may also eat some of the more uh, highly venomous spiders you might not want around your space. And hey, maybe they might just help keep some of those snakes away. And if you're afraid of snakes, that's a good bonus. Thank you for listening and letting me tell you about yet another thing spiders eat. Uh, maybe for the future, we'll put in an episode for the herbivorous spider. I'll have to put that on the on the list. If you enjoyed this episode and know someone in your life that could use spider facts, which we all know is everybody, um, be sure to share this with your friends. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can be notified of future episodes and leave a review pretty much wherever you listen to your podcast and reviews, especially a five-star review, would be a great way to help new people find the podcast. If you are on Facebook or Instagram, be sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and Quirky, Creepy, Freaky Pod on Instagram to get all the pictures and updates on the podcast. Thank you to my sister, Kaylee Streit, for creating the theme music for the podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.